Welcome to the wide world of punting, where we talk about anything and everything in the world of punting. I'm Jacob Wynn from The Tripod. This is the sixth episode of this summer, wide world of punting, final episode of 2021, in fact. So we're going out with a bang. It is a really special one. It's been a special year. It's been a massive year for The Tripod. Um, in punting and tipping, one thing you have to be so careful of, and I always am, is giving any guarantees. But I'm going to go out there. I'm going to say I will guarantee you stick with me, you watch or listen to the next 60 minutes, this episode, guaranteed it will make you a better punter. We're going full punting theory. This episode is titled 12 Punting Commandments. But looking back on 2021, it's been an awesome year for the pod. As I said, we've done this for seven years, seven seasons, NRL, podcast, tips. Biggest challenge of 2021 was first year without Alex. And I knew coming in, we're never going to replace him, his knowledge, his input, his production. But I have done my best and I am proud that we've adapted. We've still brought out good quality content, good quality tips. I've done the tripod justice for another year. You can judge for yourself, you know, how good the year's gone, but I'm I'm happy and it's certainly not all me. So I want to start this pod by saying thank you to everybody who supports, everyone who follows whatever capacity, if there's no audience, if there's no community, then there's no pod. Special shout out to the admins. These guys are the goats in terms of admins, Jeff and Dan, putting in uh, work behind the scenes daily that a lot of you guys wouldn't realize. And then as I say, it's a community. So we're nothing without all the contribution of a, a range of people who know who they are. And the whole idea is we come together for one reason or another, but we enjoy the pun. We enjoy being around each other so we can have extra entertainment, we can have shared experiences, we can help each other, we can be successful, whether that means not everyone has to be a professional punter, but just being part of the community, if it adds something to your day, you might even just grab one extra good bet in the year or dodge one bad bet or take away one learning. The goal is just you you find that benefit. So tonight's episode, it's dedicated to you guys to hopefully give you a big benefit, a lasting benefit out of this episode. No interview, no conversation. It's basically classroom style, 60 minutes, punting theory from the best of my knowledge, my experience and my perspective. We do have a guest perspective as well. To give you guys a super quick background, about three years ago, credit to Alex, he came up with the idea of doing punting 101 episodes and we started short weekly, I think it was Friday afternoon, knockoff time, episodes for 5 to 15 minutes on a range of punting topics and theories and we did these over summer and to this day there's over 20 episodes available on Facebook on YouTube just try uh, type in tripod punting 101 so basically that's that catalog in fact I'll put that catalog up on the screen we got a really good response to those not only sharing knowledge but it's a conversation starter that got people thinking you can contribute what you think add to our knowledge argue with ours um and feel free to do the same with this episode. I always try and respond to any comments on Facebook or YouTube. But basically what I've done to build this episode of Wild Water Punting is we're going to piggyback off those episodes, build on those episodes. And you can still check out each of them individually for more in-depth. But basically I've compiled every episode we've ever done. I've reordered them. So hopefully there's a decent logic, decent flow. And I've condensed it all. So from the last two or three years of knowledge, 12 punting commandments and these are my latest, kind of clearest, hopefully concise thoughts on these topics. 12 theories or principles um, that if you have an understanding of these, you will be a better, better. Now, this is not me saying I know everything. This is not a gospel. But this is my best advice. 12 key, key areas that I've narrowed down. You know, the spirit of 12 days of Christmas, the 12 commandments. That's what we're going for here. And they are each really important, I believe. I've done my best to do a brief summary of my explanation and advice I can share. So, Lego.
Commandment number one, thou shall understand value. Let's start right here and define the term value. This will get a little bit mathematical to begin. Hang in there. Remember actually someone asked the question, how do you define value to Tristan in our episode one of this season? Asked Tristan anything. He gave his definition on the first episode of this season. And I think it's a criminally misused term in punting, in my opinion, and it's the foundation of successful punting. So I want to share my definition of value. It starts with a bit of a misnomer that people think winning punting, surely that's just all about finding a lot of winners. So I want to push back on that and why. And if people say, well, it's more important that you find a winner than it is of what the price you get. I mean, the price is it means nothing if it loses. I think that's really misguided. For this reason, if you want to be a profitable punter and you think all you got to do is pick winners, we can all go and do that. We can all go and find boatloads of winners. Just go through all the markets and back everything that you find on any bookie that's $1.01. Go to all the alternate lines, alternate totals, add the max points you can. If you're back in $1.01s here, $1.02s there, everyone, even the worst punter in the world is going to win those 90% plus of the time. So why don't we all do that? Because we know those odds are too low. And ironically, in the tripod group just last night, somebody actually put up a bet. And not to kind of dance in the grave of this bet, but it is a lesson we can learn from that there was a $2,000 bet. And the goal was let's roll a bunch of safe bets uh, until the balance hits 5k at the very first post lost on a $1.02 soccer leg. Again, not naming names. You don't like to see bets lose. But what we can learn from that is there's no system of betting that you can create that makes non-value bets profitable. If I look at a roulette wheel, for example, in the casino, which we understand has 37 pockets, 36 numbers that are red and black, and then that 37th slot being that green zero, you can try any system you like. You can go martingale system, which people would be aware of and people try to apply to sports as well, which is basically the double up system. Keep doubling up until you win. Or you could back... 34 of the 37 pockets on a roulette wheel. Most likely each spin, you'll, you'll find a winner there and you could keep um, rolling over those incremental winnings. But long term, the odds are not in your favor. So no matter what you do, if the odds aren't in your favor, the bet is not value, then the longer you keep doing that particular bet, you're less and less likely to have any chance of being profitable in the long term. Therefore, my definition of value for me is a pick that would be profitable if you played it repeatedly long term. I gave that casino example because we can't debate the odds. It's unequivocally you know, set and it's not going to be value by design. When it comes to sport or racing, that's more subjective, of course, because we can always argue about what the odds should be. Now, in sport, if it's cricket or something, you can bet on a coin toss. And again, there's no arguments. I know the odds should be 50-50. I would never bet on the outcome of a coin toss unless you're going to give me $2 or above odds. When two equal teams play, and I might feel that the game is about 50-50, that's different because then there's some judgment involved, and we can disagree on different factors, and that's what we like to dive in in our weekly NRL you know, previews. But the goal for me, punting, is to only ever back an outcome where I believe the odds I can get exceeds the relative probability of that outcome occurring. So in order to do that process to decide, am I getting value? Do these odds exceed that probability? You've really got to be able to do the equation in your mind or figure out 
the, the, the relationship between probability and minimum odds. So hopefully I can explain it. So again, I gave the example of a coin, to, coin flip. That's a good one to start on, right? We all understand fair price for a 50-50 is $2. If you remember that, that will help you to do slightly more complicated arithmetic in your head. The key to the, the relationship between odds and probability is basically one is the inverse of the other. So the inverse is we take that number and we go one divided by that number. So if the odds are $2, we say one divided by two, and that gives us a half or 0.5 representing 50%. That outcome has to occur more than 50% of the time for $2 to be value. That's a very simple one. That's about as simple as it gets. What if the odds are $1.50? How do I know how often that needs to win to be value? Again, I inverse it. One divided by 1.5 and I get 0.666 recurring. So I need that outcome to win more than two thirds of the time or 67% or better for it to be value at $1.50. Works at any odds if something is $10 odds. One divided by 10 gives us 0.1, that's 10%. So that's our break-even point, and we need that bet to win more than 10% of the time to be long-term value. And it works the other way too, and sometimes people's process is to look at an outcome and think, I'm, I think that's going to win a certain percentage of the time, and then decide whether I can find odds that are value. So if it's the other way around, you've assessed whatever an outcome, you think it's going to win 40% or better, you can convert that into odds exactly the same, just inverse it. So remember not to stuff up the calculation, we're using that percentage as a proportion of 1, so 40% is 0.4 out of 1. And so if we inverse 0.4, we get 1 divided by 0.4, and that gives us 2.5. I need $2.50 odds to break even on that play, or better than $2.50 odds to be value. And going back to that initial point, just pick winners, don't worry about the odds. The reason I strongly disagree with that is it's just not reality. We're all, in our betting lives, we're all going to pick a heap of winners, but we're all going to pick plenty of losing bets as well. The absolute fact is there's nobody out there winning them all, so therefore, what it all comes down to is what price you get when you win. And I know that is a simple principle for some, but I really feel a lot of punters don't understand that. Just to ram it home, if we use kind of a tripod example, I'll give out a bet that might be $1.91. I've done all my work. I'm really confident that that bet's going to win 60% of the time or better if I'm sharing it. So how do I know its value? We can inverse that $1.91. So we go 1 divided by 1.91. We get 52.4%. That means we need to hit at least that rate to break even and we need to exceed 52.4%. I might be confident we're going to do that. That's the best bet. If I back a tip like that with those characteristics long term and I'm right in my judgment and I do win 60% on those odds, then I'm going to be ahead and therefore those tips are value. Now, if a different bookie or if the bookies or the market shifts and the odds drop and it's $1.65, it's the exact same bet. It's the same team that I thought was going to win or whatever or the same line. And so you might think it's the same bet, but if it's $1.65, we inverse that. 1 divided by 1.65 is now 61%. Well, now we're not, we don't have a positive expectation. We're not in value. In fact, we're basically at break even or slightly negative in the long run. If we win 60% of the time, but we only get $1.65, it's not value. And again, if someone tips something at 10 to 1, could be a great bet. Might win 15% of the time, but if the odds drop and nothing else has changed, and you look at it and go, well, it's either a value bet, it's either a good bet or it's not, and I can still get $6, I'm happy with that. Like if it wins, I'm still happy. That's not going to profit long term. $6, 
at 15% is going to be negative, whereas $10 odds at a 15% winning clip is going to be positive. So the word value directly defined by the odds you get at the time. Okay, thou shall understand staking, commandment two. And there are many methods of staking. I'm not here to tell you that there's one almighty method or one correct method. I have previously shared a link to the Kelly Criterion method, which is a popular method among professional punters. That's still in the tripod group, one of the pinned posts there. You can research different staking methods as much as you like yourself. But what I want to share is just general advice about staking. So first of all, it ties straight back into... Your very first assessment before you make a bet and decide how much to put on is the bet value. So that's why commandment one just talked all about assessing value. Be really honest with yourself there. You know, have you been successful making that type of bet in the past? Does that give you confidence that this next one will be value? Or historically, how have you gone? Or maybe it's not your tip, but how does the tipster go with these type of bets? Or are other people who you respect the opinion of backing this tip, are they agreeing it's value? Now, straight away, if that's not the case, if you're betting on something and you don't have the confidence that it's a profitable play or a value play, a lot of staking systems are going to calculate that you shouldn't have a bet on that on that particular market at all. So if you're trying to be a professional punter or you're trying to bet the same way a pro punter would, it's not going to sound fun, but most successful method is going to be sometimes make that initial success assessment. If it's not value, it might lead to a decision of don't make that bet. And, you know, going back to the example of value and just to share, you know, my experience with the pod, like Alex and I, since the pod have grown and since our betting uh, access has been restricted, we had that agreement that anything we were going to give out as a best bet, we didn't back ourselves. So we would not back it at least until after the pod if we could get on at all. So if there's something that's $1.91 and we love it, we think it's 60% plus play, and it's available on a couple of bookies, it might be a little bit lower on a couple of other bookies, after we tip it, it might drop. A day later, I go along and I still want to make the bet, but if the best odds I can get is $1.65, then my honest assessment is, that's not value anymore. I still want it to win, it's still probably going to win more often than not, but I've got to be comfortable, no long term, I've got to be strict, I've got to be selective, I've got to pass that. So that's where your staking goes hand in hand with regarding figuring out if a bet is value. Now, let's say you do that assessment and like you you think, look, I can't be sure this bet's going to be value. How much do I put on? Well, if you're a recreational punter and you're not betting because you're trying to win long-term, but you're betting because it adds entertainment to the event, that's perfectly fine. And you're probably going to be safer long-term in your punting if you're realistic with yourself about that. If you're not trying to be professional and the odds aren't necessarily in your favor, I'm not saying totally pass because where's the fun in that? But just bet a much lower amount. Bet what you'd call beer money, you know, in the long run, even if the edge is against you, even if you're 5% down on your bets, if you're putting 20 bucks per bet, a 5% in the long run is the equivalent of losing $1 per bet. And there's nothing wrong with losing $1 per bet if you're getting more than $1 worth of entertainment. Now, on the other hand, let's say you've done the assessment, you are confident you've got a bet here that is value. Well, there's two things, two forces that we have to counteract. It's important to understand both of these. If we find a bet that we really truly believe is in our favor, the edge is in our favor and it is value, the bigger we bet, the better we will do in the long run. The more money we can get down on plays that are in our favor is going to produce more profits. But even more importantly, even more importantly than that, 
is the other side of the equation, which is we have a finite amount of money that we can risk or we are willing to spend punting and we must protect ourselves against the variance of losing streaks. Look at the tripod 2021, one of my best seasons, best bet 62%. That's as good as any tipster in the world could ever hope to do. We had average winning odds at $1.88. That was fantastic, but if you go to the worst part of the season through a three-round span, I had one winner and 12 losses. You're looking at over 100 tips, you're looking at over 60% winners, but you can still lose three in a row easily, four in a row, five in a row, six in a row, or 11 of 12 as I did, and I'm not proud of that run. It felt awful at the time, and it still hurts to this day, to be honest, but there's no hiding from that reality. That's even in an elite season, that is reality, so please... Let's take the lessons from that. If that can happen to me, that can happen to you. It can happen to anybody. Not can happen, but actually will happen to everybody. You will have losing streaks. That's why we've always kind of suggested betting around 2 to 3% of your full bankroll per 50-50 best bet. Never more than 5% in one game. If there is a game where you, you happen to have more than one play... Um, on the game as well, keep that in mind. Never exceed 5%. So if the game goes totally wrong, you just can't wipe out your bankroll. If you're out there and you've got X amount of dollars to spend punting and you're putting a quarter of that money or a third of your money per game, no doubt when you're winning, you're going to be skyrocketing. The gains are going to be awesome, but it's also basically inevitable that you're going to wipe out if you're risking half, a quarter, a third of your whole bankroll per bet because nobody is immune to those losing streaks. And in fact, it might be counterintuitive, but when you're on a losing streak, I actually suggest lowering your size of your bets, not raising. There really is no such thing as being due and being more likely to win because the last one lost or the last one was unlucky. And if anything... Raise your stakes when you're on a winning streak. That means you're going well, you're seeing the ball well, and your bankroll is naturally growing. So the stake can responsibly grow because it's still that same percentage of your overall bankroll. A side note, which we did a whole episode of Punting 101 on this as well. I'll just tie it into staking. The question that a lot of people ask, and it's a great question, should I bet singles or multis? I mean, who doesn't love a multi? We all love risk less to win more. And the truth is, multis can be profitable long-term, but it ties back into my original advice. You've got to be trying to bet value. So the same criteria that you're going to apply to choosing what to bet and how much to put, that has to be applied to every leg of a multi. Every leg you throw in there, don't just throw it in there because it should win. You throw it in there because you believe each individual price stands up to that assessment for value. In terms of staking, the big thing about multis, you just have to understand your results are going to be a lot more volatile. If you're betting a lot of 50-50s and they're singles, you know, and you might have three to five plays a week, you know, there's going to be good weeks, there's going to be bad weeks. If you're profitable, you're going to have, you know, more three and two weeks than you will two and three weeks or whatever the case may be. You kind of know every week, you could be plus two or three um, stakes, full stakes per game, or you could be minus two or three if it goes bad. When you go multis and you combine all your picks, it's just naturally going to be more extreme. It's obviously very easy to comprehend that you can have an empty week where just one or two games doesn't go your way. It wipes out all your multis. That's an empty week. And then it's not hard to actually have quite a few weeks in a row where you don't hit a multi. Now, theoretically, if you are finding value on every single leg in your multis, you are actually magnifying your edge. And when you do get those stars to align, you get that clean sweep, your returns could even be higher than you would have been just going singles the whole way. But it's just a lot more volatile. And I would tend to say for cash flow and it's probably more responsible to bet a bit of a mix, some singles, some multis, especially if you're profitable, then 
you can easily kind of track your success through your singles and then you can apply a portion of your profits into your multis and then you're not gonna kind of feel the pain too badly if the multis aren't getting up and it's just an extra payday that week when it does align and they do get up because obviously multis are just so much more sensitive to luck. Um, you need everything to line up. Obviously just you have one losing leg and there's no prizes um, for that other than we might throw your 50 bucks in the tripod group for a bad beat. So those were a couple of larger ones, but as you can appreciate, understanding what to bet on, how much to put on, those are two fund foundational principles that we want to build all of our punting knowledge and understanding on. So that's why I made those the first and second commandments. For the next three commandments, change your pace because I've enlisted some help. We've got a guest. You guys know him well. He's going to help us shed some light on the next three from the bookie perspective. So it's our friend and our show sponsor. We throw to now Tristan from Top Sport. And the next commandment is thou shall understand bookie edge. In other words, understand the mechanics of the markets you're actually betting into. Tristan is going to talk commandment number three, market percentage. Market percentages are a term that we use uh, to determine how much percentage is in theory in favour of the bookmakers. So basically the higher number, the more margin is built in for bookmakers as opposed to the punters. So if you've got a 100% market, that means both sides are $2. So if you took an even uh, set of money on both sides, there'd be no winner and no loser. So that's 100%. Anything below 100% is in the punters' favour. So if something was 95% in theory, you can back both sides and make a 5% earn. There's never going to be an instance where a bookmaker offers you less than 100%. However, there are potential opportunities where different bookmakers may be competing in odds and on opposing sides and you can get it down under 100%. These are very rare. Generally, it's when there's been an error in the market as well. The higher the number, as I said, the more in favour of the bookmakers. But you've got to understand that these are just theory. Um, you know, like it, it doesn't necessarily mean that price of $2.50 is exactly right. So even though uh, you might have two sides at $1.90, which is 105% market, which in theory gives the bookmaker a 5% edge, one of those teams may should be shorter than $1.90 or should be longer than $1.90. So that's why there's a bit of margin built in. It's built in to factor in errors, pricing errors, you know, uncertainty of information. Um, one important thing to note here is that our percentages decrease uh, as, as the game or the event gets closer to, to jump. So for a rugby league game, for example, we'll open up at $1.90, take your pick on both sides uh, on the line. That's because we're, we're not as certain at, at the of the price at that early instance. And then as the game get, gets closer, we'll go to $1.93 in that last hour once we know the final team lists are there. Uh, the, the, there's no uncertainty. We've factored all of that in. So basically, the margin goes from 105% down to 103% in the last hour. You've got to remember there's also fees and all these product fees built into that. So that's why there always has to be some margin in the favour of the bookies. Uh, with the tri-scorer markets, there, there's always a percentage per player. So you might have you know, 2% per player, so it gets to 130% market. That's because there's a little bit of a, a margin of error built in for, uh, for each individual player. Um, and then obviously over a large number of players, it does multiply out. Again, same sort of logic. We'll decrease or we'll be more aggressive in our prices as we get close to jump and there's more certainty over where players are lining up on a given day. Thanks to Tristan for that one. So I would just add to that to just clarify in people's minds, everyone understanding now hopefully that not all markets are equal. Again, 100% market means that the sum of all the implied probabilities of outcomes in that market adds to 100%. So remember I've explained now, you inverse the odds, it gives you a percentage. What's an example of 100% market? 
When a bookie offers a $2 line, you've got two outcomes. They're both paying $2, inverse that $2, they're 50% each, add that up. It adds to 100%, which is what it should be because any event is going to have 100% full range of outcomes. But on a standard 50-50 line, we don't get $2, get $1.91. As said previously, if you inverse $1.91, you get 52.4%. Two outcomes, 52.4% each, add them up and there's your 105% market. And Tristan also alluded to the fact that other markets can be vastly greater than 100% markets. Uh, first try scorer, you've got 17 players on each team and maybe a chance of no try. So 35 outcomes, you inverse all those odds, add up all those percentages, do the exercise on a spreadsheet yourself and you'll see we're way above 100%. We could be 150%. And it's not a coincidence that while first try scorer bets are fun and popular, we haven't shared a lot of bets like that over seven years of tripod because it's a harder market to beat for that very reason. That percentage is so much further in the bookies favor. Um, the make no mistake bookies are hard to beat. Um, and that's why we've covered a lot of these key commandments. Why are you picking a certain bet? The identifying value, how much do you want to put on talking about staking? What are you actually betting into understanding the market market edge and market percentage? So let's roll into commandment four with Tristan again. Let's talk when. Tristan's going to talk about the commandment number four, thou shalt understand when to bet all about market liquidity. Liquidity markets is always an interesting one. You always get people that say, oh, how come I can't get as much on a New South Wales Cup game or a country Maruya race meeting compared to an NRL match or a uh, Flemington-Melbourne Cup meeting? So the liquidity of markets is really important, and that's where our limits and our pricing strategy all, all gets factored in because the stronger the market, the more information that's available, the better quality horses, the better quality players, we're obviously more comfortable taking bigger bets and at more aggressive prices. So it's a really important one when you're betting because you have to be aware that if you're betting into really small markets, the, the limits won't be available to the same level as what they are on, on your really top tier events. Not just that, it's the pricing efficiency as well. So we'll get down to a lot lower margin as, as we touched on. So on a rugby league game at jump, we'll bet 103%, $1.93, take your pick to bet anyone to lose 10,000 that last hour. On a New South Wales Cup game or a Lithuanian basketball game, we'll bet the 105, 106% and we'll bet you know, maybe to win 500 bucks on those sort of things because there's that difference in the liquidity of the market. And it's the same thing if you're having a bet early. If you're betting on a Wednesday or a Monday or a Tuesday in particular when the team was on out, that liquidity of the market is a lot less than if you're betting in that last hour. So you've got to, if, if you're a sizable punter, if you're a sharp punter, you've got to pick your moment when to bet. Obviously, if, if something's going to move, if you've factored something in that you feel, if you don't bet now, the price is going to go, then yeah, certainly step in and, and take that early bet on the understanding that you know you're not going to get set to the, to the same extent as what you would if you bet in that last hour. If you're just having a bet because you, you've got a side rated X and, and you feel it should be Y, then my suggestion is wait until as late as possible because that market's going to be much more liquid. You're going to be able to get much bigger bets on and you're not going to shift the market as much. So that's the liquidity of the market. It's knowing when to bet, the time to bet, knowing how it changes as the game gets closer and there's more confidence in, in how we've set the prices and also the, the vast array of markets that are available nowadays. You've got to understand that on your top tier events, there's so much more liquid than your this. Just to add to my thoughts on market liquidity, simply put, it's the volume of money that's been wagered. In efficient market theory, the idea is that the more money that's in play is going to directly equate to more knowledge in the marketplace and odds are going to correct themselves. And in theory, odds should get more correct 
as more money is in the market. Therefore, bookies have more confidence that their pricing is correct. And remember, they're keeping their pricing in their favor. So their pricing, they believe, is more correct and more in their favor. Therefore, they accept bigger bets. Again, that's the theory, but not all markets are perfect. And if every market was perfect, we should never bet because it goes back to market percentage. It wouldn't be in our favor. But let's also remember, not all money in a marketplace is smart, is educated, is sharp. There's recreational people who are, who are backing just their favorite team or just backing the team that they saw play better last week or for whatever reason, for the, the color they wear as well. So there's lots of reasons why money gets put into a marketplace and we can take advantage if we want to go against um, where we think odds are wrong for whatever reason. That comes back to our handicapping. Now, liquidity that Tristan spoke about there is an issue for professional punters and for larger punters. But it's an opportunity for smaller punters because it's not really an issue because it's not really going to limit smaller punters. As Tristan said, like earlier in the week, they're less confident what their lines or their odds might be or on obscure events even closer to when that event starts. They're just never going to increase those limits because it is a smaller event, lower profile. But like as Tristan said, if they're still taking um, any bet that can win $500, that's a very substantial amount of money you can win for for 95% of punters, honestly. So if more liquidity equals more confidence, more accuracy in markets, well, conversely, it can also be true that less liquidity and early markets can be less accurate. And therefore, you can take advantage. You can get great prices. You can get great lines if you're willing to do that deep dive and look into sports that not a lot of people know about or look into markets very early before all the information is known. And there's great examples of that in the tripod group. People are finding early lines and early bets and finding great value all the time. It goes back to, well, can we all quit our job and live off the winnings of, of all those great bets? No, you can't because you can't get unlimited stakes down on those bets. But can you profit on those types of bets? Absolutely. And while some bookies will cut you off if that's all you're doing is playing those type of advantage plays on markets they're not confident in, you know, again, I've got to give a shout out to our show sponsor, but it's true. It's a wonderful thing about Top Sport. They're not going to cut you off. They're going to honor uh, anybody to, have, to jump on to win 500 on anything that they've listed on their site. So now we've done the why, the how, the what, the when. Let's talk about who. Who are you betting against? Might seem obvious we're betting against the bookies, but remember, it's a marketplace. So indirectly, we're betting against people with a different opinion. That leaves us to commandment number five. Once once again, shared by Tristan. This will be his last one. He's going to chip in on this show. And it is commandment number five. Thou shall fade the public. Tristan, followed by my thoughts. The term fade the public is an interesting one. It, it, it's one of those ones where it, it gets it gets hyped up and used over in America a hell of a lot, where the, the, there's this perception of the public money uh, as opposed to the sharp money. And and certainly in, in Australia, it, it is the case to some extent that the, the, the sharp money is, is, is utilised and, and it shapes the market. So, you know, you, you might take a, 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 a wager off of a sharp player and you'll move the market on the back of their intel and, and try to put yourself in a position where the next bet you're either laying that side shorter or you're willing to take on the other side. In terms of that public money, what, what that term means is that if there's a hype team, you know, at the start of the year it was, it was South Sydney in the rugby league, you know, Melbourne when they got on their run, they were the hype team. So what you're doing then is you're taking on, or, or the bookmakers, if they believe there's going to be a certain amount of money coming for a particular side, they're going to factor that into their pricing. So if we're confident that the, you know, there's a, a milestone game or, or, or something 
that is going to get the public behind a certain betting option, then obviously we're going to price that at a shorter uh, proposition because we know we're going to get more money on that side. So we need to try to put ourselves in a position where we're going to get a 50-50 sort of, or we're going to try to get a 50-50 type uh, investment on the game. Um, so what that means is if you're jumping on those hype sides, invariably you're taking unders because there'll be perceived value about the other side in the sense that we're factoring in that there's going to be a truckload of money come one way. So if ever you can identify one of those public games and you, you, you see there's value on the other side, don't be afraid to step in and probably wait. Like you'll find that particularly later in the week, if, if there's a, one really good one to look at is, is if, if you've got a lot of favourites winning throughout the course of the week, a lot of people are taking their multis. You know, the bookmakers will be heavily committed to those last couple of favourites. So you might find yourself, particularly if, if it is a public team in one of those last couple of games, you might be able to step in on the underdog or, and, and either back them straight out or back them plus the start and find yourself in a good position. Thanks again, Tristan, not just for sharing your expertise, your insight, but giving people a break from my voice and, yeah, fading the public, that concept, it is important. It's sharp money versus square money. Nothing is absolute, I've got to say. No rule is guaranteed to win or always back a certain way and you'll be ahead. But it's just a principle that if you keep in mind in any bets, it will serve serve you well and give you an advantage. Tristan gave a real example, like the Melbourne Storm in 2021, but hey, that was a public side that actually was killing it if you actually just stuck with the public and bet the same way Joe down the bar bets. they The Storm were just about winning no matter what the odds or no matter what the line was for weeks on weeks. But what I'll always say is in my experience, if it's one or the other, if it's back with the team that everyone's on or it's against, in the long run, I will always believe it's harder to be profitable backing the teams that are really popular in the public opinion for the very reason Tristan mentioned the bookies aren't in the business of giving away money. They know which sides are going to be popular and have a way to money come for them. They are not going to offer a generous price. In fact, they're going to have their own assessment in-house of what they think the fair odds should be. And then they're going to lower that price a bit more on the side they anticipate the money coming in because they know there's going to be a lot of people that will back that team almost no matter what the price or almost no matter what the line is. And that comes back to, okay, if that's the reality, there's an opportunity going the other direction. And you guys know if you've followed the pod at all for any period over the last seven years, we love our ugly ducklings. We, we've had our best success where we can be contrarian to what the public thinks. Tristan used the word there, hype. And that goes into, you know, hype teams, but also hype hype streaks when, a, when a, you know, a certain team, if they always go over or um, if they're on a winning streak, it's just very well known. And everyone thinks, I want to jump on that train. They see a team that's won seven in a row and they're $2 to win this week. And their mind says, well, that's great value. They've won seven in a row, but I'm getting $2. Everyone knows they've won seven in a row. They're probably $2 this week because they've got a really tough game. I'm not saying they're not going to win that game. In any bet can win. But I'm saying I was rare to see situations like that be profitable long term. So I'm not going to blindly bet against that team that's on a big winning streak as well. But I am going to be looking for opportunities where maybe I can oppose. Maybe I see the opponent uh, that could be underrated and that may be where now I'm stepping in. And I think I'm getting an inflated price because I'm going against the side that the most of the money is on. As a rule of thumb, go back to Joe on the side of the street or in the pub if you're backing the same bet that he's probably backing, you know he's not a profitable punter. It doesn't mean he never wins, but it's going to be hard for you to be profitable long-term backing the same side as Joe. Time for commandment number six. Commandment number six, thou shall correctly use a bonus bet 
Maybe this contentious, uh, again, there's been plenty said on this. Bonus bets aren't as common as they used to be in the glory days, I suppose. I'm not referring to any specific ones. I'm not referring to any specific markets or bookies or offers or anything. I'm just saying, regular punter, I'm sure you've had plenty of bonus bets over your life. You will still have them come your way again. And I don't believe everyone uses them as effectively as they could. Here's my advice and the tripod advice on how I believe you use them best. The biggest thing to understand is typically, and always check your specific conditions, but typically bonus bets are not like cash and you do not get to keep the stake from a bonus bet. And for that reason, the lower odds you go on any bonus bet you place, the worse the expected return will be. And in the long run, you will do worse. So while a bonus bet is never going to be as good as cash, and I'm not saying it is as good as cash, it can be close to the value of cash if you use it the way we suggest, which is to go for longer odds. And that ties back into my theory that I gave out before, which people might be reluctant to waste their bonus bets on long odds, um, but it's just like multis. The returns are going to be more volatile, but the important thing is, in the long run, you will be better off. And I'm going to give a mathematical example to show why. Hopefully this is pretty clear. Let's say you get a $100 bonus bet. I know for some people it's tempting. I'll throw that on a dollar fifty. That's pretty safe. Like that's probably gonna win, and I just make fifty bucks cash in my pocket. You know, can't go broke making a profit. Whereas I might tell you, put that on something that's ten to one, and in your mind you're thinking, well, yeah, it'd be great if it won, but it's probably gonna lose. But let's just dive into the maths of those two different approaches, and in the long run, who's gonna end up better off? Let's say you get a hundred dollar bonus bet ten times in a year. Okay, and every time you back something that's 10 to 1. And let's just say you find fair odds. Now look, finding something that's 10 to 1 that's actually fair is not the easiest thing to do, but just for simplicity, we call it fair, right? So in a course of a year, 10 $100 bonus bets, 1,000 worth of bonus, you're gonna win one out of 10 on average, and you're gonna return 900 cash. Why 900? 100 times 10 minus that stake. Okay, so you end up at the end of the year with 900 cash. Now the other method, you put 100 on something that's $1.50 every time, 10 times. So the fair odds, how often should $1.50 win? I explained before, 67%, that's fair. And it's not always easy to find fair odds again. Let's be generous and say you actually win seven. You do better than expectation to win seven of those 10 through the year. So seven times you won $50. Why $50? 100 bonus bet times $1.50 minus the stake. Seven times $50 is 350 cash for the year. That is not even close to the 900 that would be your expected return from the 10 shots at a 10 to 1. And that's using the same amount of bonus bets, 1,000 in, in 10 uh, $100 increments, but just using that different method of trying to go for longer odds. Um, you know, and therefore it's going to act closer to real cash the longer odds you go. And it's going to act closer to being worthless the lower odds you go. Give a more extreme example, if I give you a $100 bonus bet and you go and put it on a $1.01, you probably win and end up with a dollar back. So even after you won a bet, you turn something that's kind of valuable, a $100 bonus bet, into something that's virtually worthless in, in $1 cash. So um, that's why you want to go the long shots. It's no guarantee in the short term you're going to be better off. In the long term, you will be. It's not easy to find. You still want to find value with the long shots. Uh, and that's where if bookies let you play multis, that does help make that even more possible. Commandment number seven, thou shall be wary of subscription services. Biggest thing to say is just if something seems too good to be true, it often is. There's so many people out there on the internet that would love to convince you to part with your money and will tell you what they 
think you want to hear or what they think you need to hear to do that. And it does not always mean that people genuinely have your best interests at heart, seen too many hard luck stories in the time I've been involved in punting and, and been on social media. And at the heart of it is you've got to know whether you can trust the service and you've got to be able to identify whether it's really worth your money. And I'm not here to knock subscription services because it is really hard to find profitable plays. I know that as well as anybody. So if people out there are doing that, it's exceptionally hard work and it is worth paying for. And I just use the word wary in this commandment because that's all I'm advising. Be wary, do your diligence. Don't get romanticized by a short-term record, somebody that's just had a really hot run as if that's the truth of their ability Look for sample size. Look for longevity. Okay, if they've got a bigger sample size of tips, can you verify those results? Don't take someone's word for it that they said that they've got these results over X number of tips. Do you know anybody in the group? Can you talk to anybody who already follows them? Can you at least get in, peek behind the curtain and see results for yourself for a while before you trust what they say and, and, then, genu- and then decide that it is actually legitimate and worth paying for? Another thing not to get romanticized by is the units. I've seen so much creative accounting um, and very loose definitions of what a unit is. People can get really creative in how they define a unit. So I would go back to what I've spoken about with staking. Use your own kind of sensible staking approach that if you were betting 2 to 3% of your bankroll per their play, then how much money would you be making? Um, again, when you see someone advertising a streak or whatever, just keep in mind they're never going to advertise their bad streaks. They're only going to tell you about the good ones. Winning percentage alone does not tell you the whole story. If someone says they win 80% of the time, that's actually meaningless until you know what the odds they're getting on the winners. Or equally, if there's a service that shows you bet slips that we want a 10 to 1, a 20 to 1, a 100 to 1, those actually mean nothing unless you know how many stakes they actually outlaid to play those bets. Again, just, just do a bit of diligence. And ultimately, you've got to ask the question, does the edge that you're going to gain from this service justify and counteract the loss in your fees that you're going to pay. If you feel it does and you're confident, then best of luck. Commandment number eight, thou shall understand arbing. I've thrown this one in there. It's not like a major principle to me, but it's an interesting one that we always have interesting discussions around because I think there's people out there that are obsessed with risk-free betting. Tristan even referenced that. No bookie's going to deliberately put up a market that's under 100%, but with our ability to shop around several bookies from time to time, and it's not common, but you could find odds discrepancies where you could theoretically bet multiple outcomes, whether there be several outcomes or whether it be a two-way market, where no matter what happens, you will come out ahead based on how much you've staked and the odds that you've been able to secure. So should you do it? My two cents is I don't and I wouldn't bother. And my biggest reason is that you may find a scenario where it's like, all right, if I back the right amount on this outcome and this outcome, I will make 4% no matter what. I will make 6% no matter what but you're still betting against yourself where I would still take it back a step and I would say, let's just uh, take like a really rare, like almost, you know, this is not a common scenario at all, but just an example for simplicity. Two teams are playing each other and I find $2.10 on team A, but another bookie, I find $2.10 on team B. And let's say I could bet on either of them if I wanted to. My mentality is not, oh, I need to load up on both sides at $2.10. My mentality is, all right, one of these is probably significantly in my favor. Let's dive into this and find out which one of these two is priced too high. How do I assess the match myself? What do the other bookies have the odds at? And I'd be looking across the other bookies and 
Sure, if I bet on just one of those two teams, that's a risk and I could lose. But I know in the long run, if I'm taking the $2.10 team that I think has a better chance of winning the game, that is the better bet to make long term and I will end up further ahead. Now again, there'll be plenty of people that disagree with me and, and that method. And that just goes back to the, all these topics and all these commandments. They are only my opinion. Um, and again, if you really love that idea of risk-free or, or guaranteed win, even on a smaller rate of return, um, then you might disagree with me. But I always feel if, you, if you're obsessed with risk-free returns, you're probably in the wrong game if you are into punting. Commandment number nine, thou shalt keep your accounts. Now this is not easy and not totally your choice. We'd all love to have access to every account that we could to make any bet we please. And the reality of the industry is the better you are at doing something, the harder a lot of bookies are gonna make it for you to do that. That manifests in restrictions, limitations, and even account closure. Now, from everything I understand, and I can share my general advice, there's no specific rule. I can't give you a hard and fast rule of what's gonna help you avoid restrictions, but generally, one thing I can talk about is promos. People ask, how do I avoid getting promo restricted? I'm definitely aware that bookies will keep a bit of a ratio of your bets, promos versus money staked on non-promo bets. And I mean, if that ratio is creeping up, and I don't know, there's no fixed number, but if it's probably even 50-50 or greater of your money is going on promos, then don't be surprised if they take those away from you. So, um, you know, if you're joining a bookie purely because they got a great promo and you've got the intentions of profiting on those promos and nothing else, you have to understand that's not going to last too long. Other than that, to keep your book your account, I guess, under the radar, I mean, there is a concept of camouflage and, and um, it's a hard one for me to talk about because, you know, there can be bookies watching this as well, but it's like, if you expand the number of areas that you're willing to punt into, you're less likely to be identified as really sharp. So if there's a punter that's just winning and they look, well, what's this guy winning on? And all they bet is the totals in NBL games. It's going to be pretty obvious to them that that person probably has expertise in that and they're not necessarily going to want too much of that person's action on those markets. If they look at you and you're actually in profit, but you're betting NFL, NBA, cricket, AFL, NRL, some racing, whatever, they're going to be less swift to cut you off and cut off your business because they will put it down to the chance that some people will be up and down just through variance. And that is a balancing act because if you've got an edge on one or two areas, you definitely don't want to give back your winnings by backing non-profitable bets. But I still think if you can apply your knowledge, you can you can knowledge share, you can follow tips in, in punting communities like Tripod, you can still find really good bets. At the very least, you can still find opportunities to play things, even if they're break even, add your excitement across a range of events. And therefore, you're not going to kill it on everything necessarily, but combined with shopping around, finding the best price, if you're still making more solid bets, I guess on a more diverse range of bets, your account may look less sharp. And the last one is an obvious one too, which Tristan's touched on too. We get that bookie perspective. Like there's an integrity aspect too that like there are times where you find a blatant mistake, whatever, they might have the line the wrong way around or a term and condition that you think you can twist the wording to be in your favor and you can try and fight them over it to, to try and get an extra win or, or reverse a loss. You just got to understand those are short-term ploys and you may actually get a little gain in the short term, but you may hamper your long-term profitability and ability to get down legitimate bets because you might end up getting your account. Commandment 10, thou shalt appreciate luck versus skill. So the key point here is that anyone can win in any given week and anyone can lose in any given week. What I really want people to kind of appreciate 
is short-term results can just be so variable and the trap that punters fall into and we all do it is when we win we think it was skill and we were smart for making that bet when we lose we tend to blame it on luck and we got unlucky that on that occasion it lost the toughest part of all i think is just knowing when you've got enough sample size where you can really assess the truth of the matter which is have you had luck have you had bad luck are you skillful or are you not skillful enough to get the results that you are after. And the example that I could give you guys is let's just take 10 NRL punters off the street, just casual punters, anyone that punts on the NRL but not necessarily a sharp. Now if you tell me, heads up, me versus any one of those guys and you wanna see who's gonna have the best results for the next NRL season, I'm gonna consider myself a monumental favorite to do better over 30 weeks of NRL than anybody, honestly, anybody in the world. When it comes to picking profitable bets, I really don't think it's going to be luck after 30 weeks. I think whoever is more skillful is going to have better results over 30 weeks. And the key word there and the theme that I've hammered home throughout this whole episode is long run. Now, going back to my picks, I spend hours and hours of time into them, handicapping. I watch every minute every game I have done for years. And you might have people out there that watch a game here and there, chuck all their bets on in a 15-minute window, right? But the fact of the matter is luck is still more powerful than skill in the short term. So even though I put in all that time, if you said to me, all right, you've made your picks, you've picked five bets for the weekend, but these 10 guys have all also picked five bets, do you want to take your bets and sit with them? Or do you want to take the best of these other 10 guys, whoever ends up doing best out of these 10, do you want to take their results? I'll take the random out of a group of 10 guys every day of the week if it's for one week because that's still going to be more valuable, the variance in one week. Even though I don't believe those bets are going to be as good as mine, the better bets in one week is not necessarily guaranteed to win. So I'll take the variance there and I know that worse bets could outperform better bets in a shorter period of time and if you're getting a bigger sample size of bets to choose from, that's actually going to do well. That just means that just because you see somebody in a group or on a page doing well in a short period of time doesn't mean they're a great better. So it goes back to what I said about being wary of people selling picks, check the sample size. It goes back to what I said about staking, that even good bets can have bad runs. And I really think it's so important for us as punters to assess what we're doing and acknowledge that luck does play a part. You know, I do the weekly NRL recap and I try and look at all of my best bets after the fact and it's not a matter of explaining them away and making excuses why they lost. You also got to face the facts. Maybe you lost because a bet wasn't smart. Maybe that's a play you can avoid in the future. But at the same time, also having your confidence that not every bet's meant to win either and don't despair if you do lose a few in a row or if you do have a few losses. So again, it's really not easy. Staying objective as possible, thinking critically and not being so susceptible to confirmation bias, but just accepting that luck plays a factor. So in a short term, luck is going to beat skill every time. In the long term, skill will beat luck. So nobody's going to be lucky if they've shared you know, 500 or 1,000 plays and they're strongly showing their tips are profitable. It's virtually impossible to be that lucky. On the other side of things, if someone's shared 500 tips and their tips just clearly aren't profitable, I wouldn't accept from them that they're telling you they're just unlucky. So it's really important to acknowledge that factor. And by acknowledging luck, it helps you actually, acknowledging the part that luck plays helps you refine your own process to hopefully increase your punting skill. Commandment 11, 
Thou shall have discipline. We're nearly there now, guys. We started with some foundational commandments. Then we had a few topics that, if nothing else, I hope you found interesting, good thought exercises. Now we get back to the most important of all to kind of bring us home. So this is a massive one, and it's very easy to say. It's far less easy to practice. But you already understand why, I hope, through the previous commandments, why we've got to have discipline because of the realities of punting, because it includes bad luck, it includes bad runs. So in staking, I talked about a suggestion such as lowering your bet sizes when you're on a losing streak rather than being compelled to increase. There really is no truth to I'm due, so I'm more likely to win the next one. I myself, I'm not the world's best punter. I'm not the world's most perfect punter. I can talk about these things because I've experienced it all with you. I've been there with you. I've had many a frustrating loss and you do feel that that want to find the next winner and find the next bet. And I've heard this and I truly believe it that there's is a psychological factor that the pain of losing is stronger than the joy of winning. So sometimes you're not even doing bad. You, you break even, which is nothing wrong with, or you're slightly ahead, but the losses are more memorable and they sting more. And that's the main reason why we've got to stay level-headed. We've got to stay disciplined because if we don't, what it'll ultimately end up doing is we'll compromise those earlier commandments. We're going to lose our judgment over what's truly a valuable, profitable bet, where we're going to be looking to bet something because it's about to happen soon or it's the next thing on. And we're going to lose, we're going to cloud our judgment over whether we truly are finding value. We also might lose our good judgment and our sensibility when it comes to our responsible stake. We talk about the second commandment of staking appropriately and not staking too great a portion of your bankroll. But when you lose your discipline, there is that there there is that possibility that you're going to want to feel like you want to bet bigger, and that can be a big mistake. Um, losing certainly can be a slippery slope. And I think part of it comes from that temptation or that desire to like be ahead, whether it's I want to get ahead for the day or I want to get ahead for the weekend or the week. And really, in the long run, which I keep coming back to the long run, none of us can remember how we did in the last week of March this year. So why was it important on that weekend, really, whether we ended up up or down in an arbitrary period? I think like the best advice I can leave you with is, if you think you want to be ahead at the end of a gambling session, well, really, you can think of life as one big gambling session. So there's always going to be another day. There's always going to be another match. You've got to cop that loss on the chin, and that really is the best thing to do. And as I say, the loss, you know, you can get better from it. You can go back to the drawing board. You can look for, into it as a lesson as whether you can improve your punting, why a result went that way. But never lose sight of the fact that the reason you're punting is because it should be giving an overall positive effect on your life. And again, that can be in many ways, whether that's adding to your entertainment factor, whether you're fortunate enough to be one of those people who are winning money, and that's a small percentage of punters, but winning money long-term, whatever it is. But let's also acknowledge there's costs involved. So there's risk, your risk and cost of money. There's time spent, time finding the plays. There's the energy, there's the stress. Uh, it's just not, it's not all rainbows. So just don't expect it to be easy. Don't expect to win all the time because I think the people that do are most likely to find themselves in trouble. And I'm sorry to kind of hit you with that harsh truth right at the end of this show because I want it to be about entertainment and enjoyment as well. I hope you guys still have enjoyed this episode, but I'm here to give you hopefully the, the best advice I can, the most legitimate advice I can on your punting journey because I think when you come away from listening to this hour in particular, you're going to be a better punter and that's, that's got to include this kind of information too because it really is important. So, hey, enjoy your punting. What I mean by that is when you have a win, 
really enjoy that, really savor that win because it does hurt when you lose. So when you win, you avoided that, that pain of losing and you really should not take winning for granted. But when you lose, just remember that you've also got to factor that into your staking that you should never really bet an amount of money where that pain of that loss is going to linger far beyond an event. The final commandment, number 12, which funnily enough was actually episode one of Punting 101 over three years ago because it's a very polarizing topic, one that Alex and I always felt strongly about and slightly more lighthearted to close this episode on and that is number 12, thou shall never cash out. Now once again, I'm calling these commandments and while I definitely believe if you follow the principles and the instructions of each commandment, you will do better long term. But the first thing I've got to be clear about is, like any rule, this comes with an asterisk, all right? Of course, I mean, for example, if you throw 100 on a team to win, they're paying $2, the match hasn't even started yet, and there's still $2 to win, but your cash out value for some reason is $150, should you cash out? Of course. For no other reason, then you could simply grab that 150 that you cashed out for and chuck it back on them if they're still $2 and suddenly stand to win 300 so you might be thinking, so the pod says never cash out, but then Jacob just admitted that he would cash out. Yeah, sure. That's why it's a general rule. We say never cash out, but it has exceptions. Now, the exception I just gave then is so rare, like for the cash out to be inexplicably higher than it should be truly. Um, of course, take it, but that's a very unlikely outcome or circumstance, and it's probably because the bookie made an error. So just understand the cash out function is not there designed to be your friend. It's not definitely not designed to be in your favor. So yeah, if ever you're ever in a scenario like that where you could literally cash out and then lay back on at the original price, be silly not to, but that's just a very rare occurrence. But of course, understand that. Uh, the other major asterisk would never cash out is unless the value, the quantity of money that you can cash out, pressing that cash out button is, is a life-changing amount of money, is significant amount um, that you just couldn't say no to. And I myself, I've got to admit, if you followed for many years, I think this is, I think it was 2015 now, seems that's so long ago, that's five or six years ago it was. Um, I had a multi which stood to win over $100,000 with one leg to go, and it was a $3 underdog in the NFL, and I took the cash out, pretty sure it was $32,000 from sports, but they even did a little blog about it. Um, and I mean, thankfully, that last leg did lose, but regardless, I made that call. I was comfortable with that decision. I actually wouldn't have accepted any cash out. I had a minimum value in my mind. If I didn't get that, I was going to write it out of my principle. But I got a value which I felt was close enough to fair. And it was a life-changing amount of money. And so absolutely, I'm not going to stand in front of you. Absolutely, press cash out if you're ever in that, in that scenario. The reason we made the rule though is because apart from those two very rare exceptions, we've seen time and time again really poor, really suboptimal use of the cash out function by punters, in my opinion. And I think it's because a lot of punters miss the point of what they're effectively doing when they're cashing out. And what you're actually doing is you are effectively betting against yourself on the opposite side at not great odds, at the odds that the bookie's letting you have. So, so there's a few examples. People will bet on a team, right? Team A, and then the game starts badly and their team's down. In the rugby league, the team's down, whatever, six points, ten points. And they just want to bail. They don't feel good. They want to take that low cash out figure. And it makes me question, well, hang on. You thought that Team A was great value before the game, was good enough to bet on. But now you're betting on Team B at way lower odds because 
They've started well and because you want to salvage a portion of your bet back. So now you're making a not good bet on a team that you didn't think was value just because you don't feel good anymore and you're trying to salvage. Maybe, you know, not every bet's going to win, but sometimes the team you originally backed might still come back. And the point is that the value that they're going to give you is not going to represent the true value relative to the chance your team has to win the game. So what you've effectively done is played yourself. All right, then there's a second scenario where people feel really smart. They bet team A and team A gets up in front and now they're seeing a cash out value that's higher than what they staked. So again, it's that logic of, oh, I can't go broke making a profit. I'm going to cash out. The bookie's happy for you to press cash out in that scenario because they'd rather take you take the amount that they're offering rather than stick with the bet because at that point, you're obviously a really good chance of getting a better return than what they're going to give you. And again, you're betting against the team that you thought was good value to begin with, even once they're winning. So once again, you're betting against yourself long term. It's not going to be optimal. And another classic that we see all the time is someone does a five leg multi and then they're two or three legs in and they're starting to say, oh, I'm going to cash out or should I cash out? And they feel smart and sure, you might look at the cash out and because you won two or three legs, you might have 4x or 8x times your stake. But you've got to understand the equity in that bet is going to be more valuable than what the bookie is letting you cash out for. And in the long run, you're going to be better off letting that thing ride. And if not, if nothing else, if you disagree with me and you don't want to ride those last two or three legs, you should never have put those last two or three legs in the original multi because you would have got a better return just including the legs that you actually were willing to ride. Now, I get it. As I said before, I'm a real person and I have had multis lose agonizingly on the last leg more times than I can care to imagine. So I get it. And then you get the person in your ear that says, should have cashed out. So take my opinion just for what it's worth. It's my opinion. Um, use those strong specific exceptions for sure. But my best advice long term, you'll be better off letting it ride. It goes all the way back to commandment number one. If you're betting something where you're identifying value, the odds are in your favor. If you're cashing out, the odds are in the bookie's favor. Those were the 12 punting commandments. Let me know what you thought. So we had value, staking, bookie edge, market percentage, when to bet, fade the public, using a bonus bet, subscription services, arbing, keeping your accounts, luck versus skill, discipline, and never cash out. If you want anything more in-depth, remember those individual episodes are all on Facebook, all on YouTube. And again, it's not gospel. It's just my thoughts, plus some additional thoughts we got from Tristan, which I appreciate once again. appreciate the opportunities that Topswood has provided in 2021 to keep the pod going and also for everyone who's enjoyed jumping on board and getting themselves an account. It's not too late. And if you want an account, of course, you can use the promo code TRIPOD. Stay safe out there, punters. Uh, in your punting lives and also your personal lives too. My best wishes to everyone around the world in the tripod community. And it hasn't been an easy year for many, of course, but I hope you get the chance to relax, spend some quality time with loved ones, enjoy yourself. Look, no why well better the week yet right now. I am sorry. Last week's one, not good enough and it lost. And that was in the NFL and no excuses, but COVID is a major challenge right now. It's just so much uncertainty, added difficulty, and these markets aren't the easiest to create to begin with. And this week, I'm looking at what's happening on the weekend. I'm looking at Boxing Day tests. I'm looking at NBA Christmas Day games, which take place Boxing Day as well. I will come up with something for you guys, but we just needed more time because you can't even take for granted who's playing or even if games are on these days. So that's where following on social media, Tripod Instagram, Tripod Facebook page or the group, you follow along there. You'll see the post. I'll get it up before Christmas. 
For what it's worth, Jake Paul did win by knockout on the weekend, which was the fifth leg of the random AF multi 13 to 1. I'll always maintain that was a great bet, but unfortunately, as I explained before, his original opponent withdrew. So um, unfortunately, that leg only counts as a wash. But look, I'm going the early crow. On the back of the Aussies, getting up 2 0 in the Ashes. They're going to win that series. That one will be cashing $5 in your account. You're just going to have to wait another test match or two for that collect. Um, but the other three legs are home as well. So I'm confident enough to say it and not put the mock on myself. So, hey, at least you can look forward to that little collect if you jumped on at the start of Wild World of Punting this season. My current plan is to see you again in two weeks. I still have some more guests that are going to be awesome interviews in the pipeline, but there's been some setbacks, and that's just kind of how it goes. And I'll just keep plugging away and... um. And hopefully get a couple of more really quality episodes out for you guys in January. But that's where it goes back to. If you like the Tripod Facebook page, the, if you subscribe to the YouTube or the podcast stream, you'll know anytime any content comes out. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And if you did, please share it with friends and family and let me know what you thought. See you in 2022. Thanks for the support again. And Lego.